Welcome to Main Menu for the week of April 11 to April 18, 2014. I'm your host, David Tanner, and we are very pleased to have you with us here on Main Menu again today. If you're a returning listener, if you're a new listener, we are very pleased that you decided to join us here on Main Menu today. Well, we have a nice spring going on, and the weather is beginning to get nicer and nicer out, and that is encouraging. It's even getting encouraging here in the Northland of the U.S., where I live. And we are excited about the presentation we have for you today. As many of you know, and particularly you will be interested in this week's show, if you are still using Windows XP, because as you know, on April 8th, which was just earlier this week, Microsoft discontinued any further support for security patches and so forth for Windows XP. And so now your Windows XP machine could be vulnerable to uh, attacks from viruses and so forth that uh, weren't necessarily as serious to worry about while Microsoft continued to uh, supply patches for Windows XP, but now they will no longer be doing that. The last patches that came out to support that was on April 8th, and now they will no longer be putting out security patches for Windows XP. So next month when the new patches come out for the Windows from Microsoft, there won't be any for Windows XP. So what do you do about that? Do you move to a new Windows operating system, or what do you do to... to Make sure that you don't end up with a computer that doesn't work anymore because you got viruses in it or something else. Well, tonight here on Main Menu, the Main Menu staff, a number of members of the Main Menu staff meet together and we will have a panel discussion about what are some of the solutions and we'll talk about several of the different solutions that you may want to look at for getting either into a new operating system in Windows or possibly uh, in the Mac or something else. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today on Main Menu. So we hope you have a great week this week, and we'll see you back here again next week on Main Menu. And let's go ahead and get into our panel discussion for today. Here at ACB Radio's Main Menu, we are always looking for feedback from our listeners. If you have any feedback about something that you have heard here on Main Menu, suggestions for things you would like to hear on future programs, or if you are able to record a product demonstration or interview for us, please get in contact with us by sending an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also get in contact with us via Twitter. Our Twitter page is at www.twitter.com slash mainmenu, or you can follow at mainmenu with your favorite Twitter client. Finally, all of our contact information, past shows, and more can be found on our website 
at mainmenu.acbradio.org. Thank you for listening to Main Menu, and we look forward to hearing from you with your thoughts about our program. Hello, Main Menu listeners. This is Chase Crispin, and today I am here with a group of people from the Main Menu staff, and we are here to talk about the end of the life cycle of Windows XP. Windows XP has been around for 12 years now, I believe, so it's been a pretty long-lived operating system. It's certainly been discussed quite a bit here on Main Menu over the last 12 years, but now it's time to start looking at migrating on to newer and different operating systems. And so we've put together a panel of people here using a variety of technologies that might be newer alternatives to those of you still using Windows XP. So I'll go ahead and introduce everyone that's with me on the panel first, starting off with Mr. David Tanner, the voice you're used to hearing instead of me every week. Thanks for joining me here, David. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh I use a lot of operating systems, but I guess my favorite right now and what I've been using for about six months before Windows 8 actually came out, I started using the Windows 8 Preview, and I'm now using Windows 8.1 for most of my personal computing. And you have done some pretty good demonstrations of features in Windows 8 that people can find in the archives on our website, too, if they want to hear more about that. Right. We also have Mary Emerson, another familiar voice on the show. Mary, thanks for being here. It's good to be here. These panels are just a lot of fun. And I have been using Windows 7 Home Premium since March 2011. And we'll be talking about some of the highlights of that. We also have Dan Eichmeyer, another member of the Main Menu staff. Hello, Dan. Hey, uh, Chase. Good to be here. And... Uh... I've been using Macs and uh, OS X really since uh, February of uh, 2008 here, so uh, there we go. And we also have David Woodbridge from Australia. David, thanks for being here. I've been using Mac OS X now since about 2005. At work, I use Windows 7 Professional on my work laptop and our test machine for carrying out tests at Business Australia on different bits of software is actually Windows 8. So I've currently got both a couple of Macs, a couple of Windows 7 machines, and a couple of Windows 8 machines. Now, the reason I introduced you last, David, is you brought up a really interesting point uh, right before we began this recorded discussion. Microsoft has said that official support for XP will end on April 8th, which will have passed by the time this goes to air. But you brought up a really interesting point about a little bit of an extension on XP's life. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that? That's correct. So I was listening my time this morning to Security Now on the Twit network. And what they were saying was Tuesday in the States, the second Tuesday of the month is the particular day that Microsoft releases all patches, including Windows XP. And they said, really, the next lot of patches that are due to come out is actually the second Tuesday in May. So his point was that it's not the end of the world today because the patches that you would have got, you've got, and the patches that you're about to miss out on is not going to affect anybody until the second week in May. So he said all the scaremongering that's been going on in the media, don't take too much notice of it. This is the current state of affairs, which I thought was a nice way to put it rather than saying, oh, my goodness, what do I do now? That is very interesting, and that gives anyone who wants to upgrade a bit of breathing room, um, since we have about another month until the patches disappear. 
So that is certainly something that I hadn't even considered until you brought it up. I'm going to go back to David Tanner now and have you talk a little bit, David, about Windows 8. Windows 8 is quite a bit different from XP, a lot of new features. Can you go ahead and talk about the biggest differences that people will notice when they move to Windows 8? Well, I think the biggest thing they're going to see that's different is uh, you completely lose the start menu as such. It uh, really basically doesn't exist. It's gone to a start screen. And um, the start screen, actually, some of the applications that are shown on the different tiles on the start screen, um, some are accessible and some are not very accessible. But the big scare is that, oh, now what Now what do I do? Well, the good news is you can continue to use your computer just the way you have earlier you would, as far as using the desktop to put all your programs on and launching them from the desktop with shortcuts or without shortcuts. But probably really for, for most people, one of the, the hugest changes they're going to find is, uh, and this is whether they're coming from XP or even coming from Windows 7, uh, in Windows 8, you lose uh, the, the Windows Explorer, and it's now File Explorer, and now has ribbons. And so finding all of those things like uh, creating a new folder and those kinds of things have moved around and are in in different places and maybe hard to harder to find and i've also seen that with some of the windows 8 machines the folder the, the directories and folder structures have changed somewhat uh, although most of them i've seen the folder structure is pretty similar um, there are some, a few that i have seen uh, particularly in some of the cheaper computers that I've seen with Windows 8 on it, the folder structure may not even necessarily be exactly the same. So um, while there are some differences between the file structure in XP and, for example, Vista and Windows 7, there really hasn't, the folder structure and file, file structure hasn't changed much in Windows 8 to those, but it is somewhat different quite a bit different in, 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 in from XP. So those, I think, are probably two of the biggest things. And for any listeners that want to know more about how the file explorer changed or how the start screen is laid out in Windows 8, you did presentations. It was probably a year ago or so now. Yeah, it was a little over a year ago. Yeah, but those are still around in our archives at mainmenu.acbradio.org. So we're not going to describe to you how those work in this discussion, but if you would like some help uh, getting used to Windows 8, those presentations that David did are certainly still around and on our website. Anything else on Windows 8 before we move on? I would say those are probably, are probably the biggest things that, that I've seen. Just for folks to remember that it's fine thinking about upgrading Windows 7 or Windows 8, but your machine has to be capable of actually running those two newer operating systems. So I'd like to talk to that point a bit later on in the program as well. And that's one thing I did want to mention. Uh, anybody who is back at XP, if you're looking at putting Windows 8 on your machine, you really do need to, to, to check the Windows 8 page and check 
to see if your computer is compatible because uh, it 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 does require a lot more resources and um, if you don't like if you're running a computer that only has one or two gig of memory and a fairly slow processor, particularly something like a netbook, it's probably not going to be it, it, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience with Windows 8. That's a good point to bring up, and we are going to put the link to that uh, site to find more about upgrading your computer in the show notes. It's a pretty long URL, so we're not going to read it to you here, but we will make sure that listeners have access to that link. Now, David, the other question I have for you, um, in the work that you do, you probably see a lot of people that are switching to a new computer. How long does it seem to be taking people to get used to Windows 8? Are they having a tough time switching, or is it something that they pick up pretty quick? Well, what I'm generally seeing, and I think it's it's really kind of interesting, because in the position where I am working for a state agency for the blind in the technology department, and a technology department where we do not, the tr- techs that are in our department we do not do training. We do all of the other things. We do evaluations. We set up new computers. We repair computers. We do everything but training. We hire, we contract with trainers and we do train tests on our trainers to make sure they know what they're doing before we let them do any training. Probably two thirds of our eight trainers that teach Windows 8 now with like JAWS or window eyes or whatever, about six out of eight really had uh, some some tough going when they started with Windows 8. And then the last two, they, they, they took the advice of I and one of the other Texans and, who said, hey, forget the start screen, use the desktop. The only thing you really need use the start screen for is to do a search and otherwise use the desktop you don't have to to go through trying to use an internet explorer from the start screen it's not going to be all that accessible anyway you don't really want to use that internet explorer anyway so i think now that the the, they caught on and have gone to the other trainers pretty much and said hey you really you made things tougher on yourself than it needed to be um I'm starting to see that uh, as people uh, understand that it's not absolutely necessary to use the start screen, I'm finding they're learning generally quicker. So you would suggest to listeners to just ignore the layout of the start screen and just use the computer with the desktop as they would have had previously. Right. And another thing, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me that Windows 8 had only been out a few months in PC World, which is one of the biggest uh, computer magazines out there. In March of 2013, uh, PC World had an article in, in the magazine and gave all the instructions as to what to do and what changes to make in Windows 8 so that you did not boot up to the start screen. So, <laughs> when when a company like a publisher like that will do that, it kind of tells you, hey, <laughs> this isn't really necessary. Yeah, that's a good point. So moving on now to Windows 7 uh, with Mary. Now, first of all, Windows 8 has replaced Windows 7, but Windows 7 is definitely still around. It has 
a huge market share. And uh, Windows 7 is actually still available. I've seen some computers, new computers available on Amazon that must have been in a warehouse or something like that where they're still shipping with Windows 7. There's extra copies of Windows 7 that are you can still buy. So even though Microsoft has stopped really promoting Windows 7, it's definitely still around. And that's why we're going to discuss Windows 7 here. So Mary, can you go ahead and talk about some of the big differences between Windows 7 and Windows XP? Okay, real quick. First of all, you need to get live mail via the web, and that's something that needs to be done. But live mail has gone through a lot of migrations, and the current version that came out a couple months ago is totally different from live mail 2010, live mail 2012, whatever. And in order to do that, you uh, can go and use the start menu, which is a big feature in Windows 7. It you type a name of something and it'll do a search for it if it can. One other thing is there's no classic view in Windows 7. What you get is uh, just a general view of stuff. The control panel has a different look and feel. You can change it so that you get an alphabetic list and can do first letter navigation. But even the way you do that has changed between 2009 when Windows 7 came out and the new updates. The sound settings are different. There's a stereo mixer that is generally disabled and you have to go into a procedure and activate that. Navigating using tree views and stuff works differently. Computer replaces my computer but you have to put it on the desktop. Uh, you can get to it through the uh, various, you know, Windows Explorer and whatever. User account control has been a big one. Um, some people love it. Some people hate it. It tells you essentially what is going on with your computer and asks if you really want to do this particular task, such as making a program run or whatever. Some people turn it off. I found that I've had trouble with my Braille focusing it uh, whenever a user account thing pops up, it just messes up my Braille display big time. So I have kind of not thought too much about user account control except how to deal with it when it does pop up. And there are different uh, levels of activation. It can nag you about everything or it can nag you about one or two things or whatever. That's basically it for Windows 7. I pretty much isolated it with these six basic things. And I've found all the information from Bookshare. There are plenty of books on Bookshare that describe in excruciatingly detailed ways what to do to make Windows 7 work for you. It talks about customization. It talks about just there are all sorts of books on Windows 7 and also Windows 8. I've been reading those also. So that's one way to get information. And I believe there have been some recordings also for main menu that you can go in the archives and get. Yeah, Rick Harmon did some great presentations way back when Windows 7 first came out, and those are also still in the archives. Yeah. Now, Mary, how long did it take you, once you started using Windows 7, until you began to get comfortable with it? Was it an easy transition, or did it take you a while? It took me a while, because I ended up using the Windows Live Mail, and then I got rather aggravated with it and switched to Thunderbird. And uh, just learning some of the keystrokes and getting my Braille display to work 
well with it. It took about a month and uh, maybe a little more than that. And uh, after that, though, it's been a very stable operating system. So the challenge for you wasn't really the operating system itself. It was just the email clients that you had to try to use since there wasn't one built in. It was that plus dealing with control panel stuff and uh, figuring out the mixer because the stereo mixer, if that's not turned on, they can't hear you. You can hear your own machine doing things, but if you're recording something or sending something to somebody else, uh, that doesn't work. And then the file navigation was a big challenge. So if you were advising someone who was buying a new computer and they had an option of buying a nice computer with Windows 7 or a new computer with Windows 8, and this was someone that just needed to keep using their computer and they didn't want to spend a ton of time relearning things, would you suggest them to go right to Windows 8, which is, you know, of course, the newest operating system, or would you say they should just go to Windows 7? I'd suggest Windows 7. In fact, I just bought a second PC as a backup for my current one, which has just gotten to be three years old. It's in its fourth year now. And uh, it took about a day to just get JAWS and some other stuff on the new PC. Of course, it it was a refurbished one, but when it came up, it just had the operating system without any bloatware. So I had to get JAWS working and all that. But even that took a good seven, eight hours because there's about three and a half hours of Windows updates that have been happening in the last three or four years at least. So if you just get the bare bones Windows 7, be prepared. And then there's more updates after the updates because it installs Internet Explorer version 11 during the updates, and there are updates to that. So um, it's a good bit of work, but it's worth it. So David, how would you advise someone in the situation I described to Mary that just wants a new computer, wants to learn to use it, and they have the option of 7 or 8? All things equal, if they're going from XP... Uh, if they're coming from XP, I would probably say, you know, Windows 7 is not the current version of Windows. And if you're going to have to learn a new operating system anyway, why not just go ahead and move to Windows 8? And then you're with the current version. You know you're going to be covered with secure, your security and, and your software, whatever software you buy is going to work the longest with Windows 8 longer than it will with Windows 7. On the other hand, if they, for whatever reason, maybe maybe because of their computer being a little older machine or whatever, or they want to try to keep uh, to Windows 7 because maybe where they work uses Windows 7, maybe the, all, all the people they know will use Windows 7 and nobody really, that they know really uses Windows 8, then I would say um, go to some of your places like well, around here. Um, I know Costco is selling computers, several different brands of computers with Windows 7. And Microsoft has actually said that the OEMs, um, which is your computer manufacturers, can continue to sell computers with Windows 7 until October of this year. Definitely if a person wanted to go to Windows 7, I would and buy a new computer with Windows 7 on it, I would say, well, it's a new computer. And, you know, if you buy a computer with Windows 7, 95% of the time, it will also come with a copy, a, a DVD for Windows 8. So it's not like you're stuck. And if you decide you want it later, then you're going to have to go out and 
buy it. Probably 95% of the time, if you buy a computer with Windows 7, it will have the, a copy of the Windows 8 operating system with it that you could install later. So I guess my biggest thing would be if a person said to me, boy, I really don't know anybody using Windows 8, and I don't know where I get the help and support for it, then I would probably say stick with Windows 7, get a new computer with Windows 7 on it. Uh, if they if they know they can get support locally from other uh, people that are using Windows 8, particularly if, like in the where I live, there's there's quite a few blind people using Windows 8 on their computers. So it would not be that difficult for a person around here to find somebody who could help them out. It's definitely something for people to consider as they move away from XP. There definitely is more than one option. Just one thing I'd like to add, though, Chase, is... I know we've been talking about upgrading the, the computer stuff, the hardware, but the software, you're going to be ending up, as Mary alluded to, with a different email client. If you upgrade Microsoft Office, you're going to be using a different version of Office, but more importantly, your assistive technology may change and you might have to buy a complete new updated version, which is going to cost horrendous amounts of money, depending on what screen you're using. Yep. Um, so that's the other thing I would suggest people have a bit of a think about because if you're using, for example, JAWS 4.51, which on the Australia, sorry, the Vision Australia Adaptive Technology Help Desk, some people are still using that. There's a lot, quite a large expense going from JAWS 4.51 to JAWS 15. So keep in mind that if you do go to Windows 7 or Windows 8 and you happen to have a copy of Microsoft Office 2010 or 2013, as we've covered, I think, before on main menu, you can get a copy of Window Eyes for free, which is Window Eyes for Office, if you want to use another commercial screen reader similar to JAWS functionality, or use NVDA, or in fact in Windows 8, you can definitely get away with using Narrator if you have to. The Narrator in Windows 7 is fairly limited, but the new Narrator in Windows 8 is not a bad way to go as well. So that's the other thing for folks to keep in mind, that if you are creating a machine, you will look, need to look at your screen reader, screen magnifier, OCR application, all the different software bits and pieces that you use, including some of your peripheral devices such as printers, scanners, and so on, uh, as part of the upgrade process as well. That's definitely a good topic to bring up. And depending on your situation and your computer, uh, Microsoft actually has tools that will scan any peripherals that are attached and tell you this printer is not compatible, and that's on the Microsoft website. So if you're worried about peripherals, that's something you can find out about through Microsoft as well. This will be a factor, too, in that, um, for example, let's say you, if you know you have, say, an Epson printer and an Epson scanner, and I'm just using this as an example, and I don't know that this applies specifically to Epson. I just needed a brand to use. And you went out to the Epson webpage. And you looked up your printer and your scanner, and you see that they have no drivers for Windows 8. And Windows 8's been out for well over a year now, so you're probably going to be a little concerned about whether you really want to go to Windows 8 or not. Yeah, definitely something to look at. Well, now that we've discussed the newer Windows operating systems, there is, of course, the very popular option of switching over to the Apple Mac line of computers. Things are a little bit different when you start talking about the Mac it's a totally different operating system, has all the same functionality that Windows has, but it operates differently. And so your transition definitely will be a little bit more intense 
going from, say, XP to a new Mac, as opposed to, say, Windows XP to Windows 8. I'm going to go ahead and have you, uh, David Woodbridge, go ahead and go over some of the things people need to know about the Mac. You've done so many tutorials for us, but go ahead and talk about the, the really big things people need to know if they're thinking about switching to a Mac. Sure. My first uh, comment for that is, if you really don't need to change operating systems, absolutely do not, because as a help desk person, particularly in Australia, I'll be the one that's going to be helping you a lot to transition. So, you know, it's fine to upgrade, but when you're completely changing operating systems, that's a huge decision to make, because as David and Marie alluded to, that Windows 8, you can sort of get by using the desktop and your standard software. So when you switch over to Mac OS X, so that's currently 10.9, and it's called Mavericks, the menu system, the file management system, the applications, the web browser, the email program, the word processor, all behave a lot differently to the way that an actual Windows computer operates. And one of the big noticeable things is, and this is true in Windows, but people using Windows screen readers don't notice it because the screen readers compensate. But when you're using a cursor, and for those that use an iPhone or an iPad, you know what I'm probably talk, going to be talking about. When you move to the right character by character on an iPhone, an iPod Touch or an iPad or on the Mac, the cursor is always to the right of the last letter moving to the right. When you're moving to the left, the cursor is always to the left. Whereas what JAWS and Windows and NVDA have done is that they've made the screen reader say, you're actually on top of the character, and in reality, you're not. But that's the way that Windows screen readers are used to doing it. So that's probably the first big thing that for both, so for iOS and OS ten, is your cursor location. The other one that people get hung up a lot on is how many keystrokes you've got to hold down to, particularly for voiceover users on the Mac. So it's normally the control and option keys, or in Windows terms, the control and Windows key held down together. One of the guys on AppleViz, where I'm an editor, he's actually, or has produced by time minister in this podcast, a whole article on using Mac OS X just from the keyboard. So the fact that you really don't have to use many screen reader commands if you don't want to, you can definitely drive the Mac operating system just from the keyboard that you can do with Windows by holding down one or two keys, not this you know, control option, left and right arrow and so on. So that, keep in mind that you don't necessarily have to completely drive Mac OS X via voiceover commands. You can just, as in Windows, use the standard Mac operating system commands as well. So they're probably the two major things that people have to come against. And finally, the third one would be, everybody talks about this interacting command. And what that basically means is that if you come across a toolbar in an application, rather than in, say, in Windows, you have to or look at or navigate through, if you wish, the buttons inside a toolbar, what OS X does, particularly with VoiceOver, is that it says, okay, there's a toolbar here. Do you want to interact with it and go and look at the options in the toolbar or do you want to just skip over the toolbar and keep going to the rest of the screen? For screen magnification users, I must say, and this is only based on my talking to other people as I'm completely blind so I can't verify it, is the screen magnification on Mac OS X, uh, so the system zoom, and I'm not 100% sure about the large print software from AI squared, ZoomText for Mac, 
once you get above three to four times magnification on the Mac, the screen starts to pixelate. Whereas in Windows 8 Magnifier in particular, and of course with our normal traditional screen magnification software such as Magic and ZoomText, you get very, very clear large print and you've got a lot more control over the large print experience than you have on a Mac. Braille support is reasonably good on the Mac, but certainly nowhere near as good as you know, our major screen readers such as Windows and JAWS does for Braille support on you know Windows 7 or Windows 8. When you first started using the Mac, did it really confuse you having the differences in how you interact with content? What was it like for the transition? I found it very difficult because I had to support a person that went off and bought a Mac. Um, this was back in 2005, so not a long time ago. The problem was finding anybody else, and this goes back to... I think what David said about trying to find people that have actually been using these systems to get a bit of, you know, some hints and some tips and to stay away from the pitfalls. And I remember I spent 100 hours, whatever that is in days, completely absorbed in learning the Mac operating system because it was completely different to, you know, Windows XP that I was using at the time. What I normally say to people now that I support on the help desk at Vision Australia is give yourself and this sounds familiar, I think, to what Mary and David said, is give yourself a month to try and get used to the operating system. So don't try and jump in and say, okay, I'm going to do my mail straight away or I'm going to word process straight away or I'm going to web browse straight away. If you give yourself a month just to ease into it and remember that, and Chase, you said that the fact that your Windows XP machine is going to keep running, well, you can have your other machine there as a backup if you still want to keep using it. You can have your documentation for the manuals and the podcasts and the audio demos for the Mac on that machine as well, and then use the Mac to learn how to use it. But as I said earlier on, there was a huge transition. So for resources, particularly folks listening to the podcast in Australia, you can certainly contact me at Vision Australia, and AppleViz is also a good resource for Mac demos as well. It's not as hard as it really sounds, but it's a lot more work to transfer from a Windows operating system, Windows XP to Windows 7 or 8, than it is going from Windows XP to OS 10, because you really are truly changing operating systems, whereas in the Windows case, it's more of a, you know, an, an upgrade path with changes, but you can still reflect back on Windows XP and say, yes, there's my menu bar still, there's my desktop, there's the control panel, you know it's changed its name, there's the file explorer, you know it's changed its name, and so on. So all your concepts are very similar, Whereas to the Mac, you've almost got to back translate or forward translate, depending on which way you want to go, between the two different operating systems. You bring up some really good points. Um, I actually use a Mac and a Windows 7 computer every day. Um, I actually have Windows and Mac OS X on one computer, and I have never fully switched away from Windows. There's, And this is getting better, but there are still some issues where word processing or presentations and spreadsheets aren't as powerful on the Mac as they are on Windows, especially in terms of accessibility. And Apple's getting better, but for a lot of word processing and stuff, I still use Windows. And so people really should probably take a look at how willing they are to put in the time to transition to a different operating system and then what they want the operating system to do because the Mac is awesome. I really enjoy the Mac for browsing and email and stuff like that, but when you start looking at productivity on it, it, it there's definitely it, not as much strength as there is with Windows. Is that what you've also found? Uh, yes, definitely, yeah. So 
and, and I do, but you do exactly the same, Trace. I, I need to use certain software at work, so I have to use my Windows 7 laptop. Um, when I test software, I use my Windows 8 test machine. When I do some other work, I use my laptop. When I'm like you, checking email, word processing, uh, web browsing, even doing audio editing for most of my audio podcasts, I use the Mac. But when I've got to do more, I guess, presentation-style stuff to do with presentation things like PowerPoint, I don't use Keynote. When I want to use a spreadsheet, I tend to use Excel on Windows. So there are certain productivity things that I will use. For example, the biggest one for me is PDF file access. So I need to know in a PDF file what the headers are, what the tables are, and so on. And I don't get that information on the Mac. So, And that's why, for example, some people like yourself, Chase, use Windows on a Mac because you have to have that extra accessibility particularly when your productivity says, well, I really don't care what operating system you're using. You've still got to be productive and get the job done. Yeah, so if anyone's looking at switching from XP or from any operating system over to the Mac, you really need to think about what things you're doing in terms of work and school and things that need a lot of document creation and presentations because that will really influence your experience on the Mac. I want to make just one quick comment here because of where I work and what I do uh, and this week in particular, I'm dealing with evaluating seven different people for what technology they need. And five of those seven are high school seniors getting ready to go to college this fall. And then with every one of them, I'll be looking at, because I know at least three of them are interested in and possibly looking at the Apple, but they've been using Windows all the way through high school. And what I'm generally telling people in the other four techs in our department are basically telling people, uh, if you've got all summer to learn to use the Mac, that might be okay. But if you're one of these people, like we get so many people who don't come in to get an evaluation and find out what they're going to need so we can get it for them or whatever, if, if you don't come in until July or August, then you better have a Windows computer to rely on when you start to college because you're not going to be ready to use a Mac full-time to do everything you need to do for school uh, if you only have the computer for a few weeks. In any sort of education, whether you're talking high school or college or anything, you have so much reliance on word processing for everything from basic assignments to papers that you need to seriously look at how much word processing you're going to need because if you need a lot of word processing, either full Windows or the Mac with Windows on it is probably a good option. Mm -hmm. Actually, and that's what I usually do end up doing is a, is a Mac with like a MacBook Pro with Windows and yeah. and Mac, mm-hmm. but you just at that point you you they, people just really need to understand. And the other thing too is for doing research and doing searches. If you've only had that Mac a few weeks, um, and you're not going to know Safari well enough to really do the kind of research that you need to do. Yeah, good point. I must say, from a Business Australia point of view, I've I've got no reluctance in recommending the Mac for home use. I've got severe concerns recommending Mac for for school. So that's for primary, secondary, college, university, and I definitely have quite severe concerns about even using the, the Mac in the workplace. So at Vision Australia, we tend to say, if you're going to use a Mac for home, go absolutely for the Mac if you wish to do that. But for education and work, make sure that, like David suggested, you get a thorough assessment on the types of tasks you want to 
to need to perform and make sure that those things are actually achievable on the Mac or any operating system for that case. But always get assessed. Just don't assume that because the Mac and iOS are accessible, that's going to give you what you need to do as part of your education process in particular. Yeah, and we're certainly not here to, you know, talk badly about the Mac. You know, most of us here use the Mac a lot and really enjoy it, and voiceover on the Mac is super good for the things it does well. But what we really just are saying is if you're looking at switching to the Mac, really first consider what you need it for. And for a lot of people, it's an awesome option. And now I'm going to go to Dan. Sorry that it's been a while since you've got a word in here, but you're a person that you are completely a Mac person. At least last time I asked you about it, you said you didn't have any access to Windows at all. So I'm curious, do you have a lot of the same views as David Woodbridge does? Um, did you have the same experiences when transitioning, and did you find the same obstacles? What, what's your viewpoint on this? Well, absolutely. Uh, I, I found the, the uh, transition to be, uh, you know, it, was, it took a while. But uh, uh, by the time I'd uh, transitioned to the Mac, there was more information out there. People had started to use the Mac, and there were uh, some uh, podcasts and that sort of thing out there. So I uh, tapped into uh, uh, those resources and used them. And you were talking earlier about the cost required to, say, upgrade a, a, uh, a screen reader such as JAWS if you're going from XP to, say, Windows 7 or Windows 8. I... Really, going to the Mac, I I really liked the fact that you could just get a Mac, and VoiceOver is going to be right, right on there from the start. And what I found to be to be huge is we can do clean clean installs of the OS with uh, VoiceOver. Sure, and on Windows you've got uh, solutions like intended install scripts and and uh, lately this windstaller app that's out there but uh, even with that you have to you know set up the uh, install media and that kind of thing those solutions may or may not work it's hard to say whether those solutions may or may not work with the mac you can do full installs with uh access with uh voiceover and that to me was a huge factor in my switching to the Mac when I did. Now, what made you switch to the Mac? I know David switched because of work. Did you just want to switch to experience it, or how did you get started with that? Well, I had uh, wanted to switch because uh, I'd heard a lot of stuff about uh, Windows Vista at the time, and uh, it uh, being a resource hog and, uh, <laughs> you know, needed to upgrade hardware to uh, to run it and uh, people were having all kinds of issues with it and it was just it was not a, a good experience and again i just got tired of uh, having to uh, having to pay into a jaws sma plus the experience of a screen reader on top of the os i really really liked what i was hearing about voiceover and, and how it was so deeply integrated in the os i uh Figured that would be a a uh, better solution for me rather than try and upgrade to uh, Vista at the time and 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 uh, get to, uh, uh, frustrated with it. Now David talked a lot about the big obstacles for someone switching to the Mac. Is there anything that he didn't mention that you really thought was tough to get used to, or anything people should know, or do you think he hit on all of that? Is there anything Dan that you? experience that you wanted to throw in there well i think he 
hit on a lot of it. I like how how uh, uh, voiceover deals with like toolbars and stuff. The whole interaction scheme that it has. And sometimes, sometimes you know, you you may not want to uh, see the contents of a toolbar and that sort of thing. So so uh, if you don't want to uh, see the contents of a toolbar, you don't have to. It's not uh, one of those things that gets in the way. Like it would with a, a window screen reader. That's a really good point. Well, we're starting to run a little short on time, and I have a couple more things left that I really want to go over. What I really want to go over is tips for people who really um, are looking at switching from XP to a new computer, good ways for them to get all their software backed up and their files backed up. And I'm going to go in reverse order this time, so I'll start with you, Dan. When you switched over, or just when you bought a new computer, what what's kind of your tips for getting everything switched over and getting all your files transitioned? And as we go around the panel again to go through this, if there's anything else you wanted to mention that you didn't get to mention, you can throw that in your response too. But go ahead and talk about the kind of backup and restore process, Dan. Well, well, uh, at the time, what I did was uh, I had um, a lot of my stuff on uh, external storage, I mean the a, a, a external hard drive, so. I uh, just basically took it and uh, copied uh, mainly my data over to the the uh, the Mac, um, especially when when uh, going from Windows to Mac, you you know don't want to copy your uh, settings and your your apps and that and, and that stuff over. You're going to need to get Mac apps, and I don't know how well the Windows migration that's in the the uh, uh, migration assistant now works. David Woodbridge might be able to speak to that, but uh, at the time I just used external storage and uh, uh, copied the uh, files I wanted um, onto it. And then uh, once I got my Mac, I took that external storage and just uh, uh, copied stuff that I that I wanted uh, to the Mac. Okay. Uh, David Woodbridge, what tips do you have for people that are switching over in terms of backing up and restoring, especially going to a Mac from a PC? Yeah, most of my stuff was like Dan's was. I had everything backed up on external media. So I had external hard drives and external CDs and uh, USB sticks and so on. Nowadays, all my stuff is either on Dropbox or my Gmail drive. Uh, All my emails are from Gmail or from iCloud because I tend to share stuff between my iOS devices, so the iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad, and the Mac. And, of course, I can also run Dropbox and Google Drive and so on on my Windows machine as well. So I didn't need to actually reinstall any stuff as such, because like Dan said, I was going from you know, Windows to the Mac. But all my data, which is mainly all MP3 files, audio files, and documents, um, nowadays all on Dropbox, so that's fine. One thing I did want to mention, though, is for people that, may want to stay with Windows XP for financial reasons, so you can't afford to upgrade at the moment. At Vision Australia, we're tending to recommend people get an internet security program, and the one that we tend to recommend in Australia is called Viper Internet Security, and that will protect you from malware and viruses when you're on the internet. And the other thing to look at is perhaps changing your web browser if you can. So rather than using... Internet Explorer to go and look at maybe Chrome or Firefox so that you have at least using a browser 
that is continually being patched and has some better level of security. Um, and, you know, the other way to protect yourself, of course, is don't open any interesting links in emails that you might come across. And what we also say to people that if you're not using the internet, if you're just using your XP box at home, if you're monitoring your keyboard, you don't need to worry about any security issues. It's when you go on the World Wide Web or the internet, that's where all the dangers happen. So if you're using it at home just to play cards or do other stuff, you're perfectly fine. Once you get on the internet, think about a program such as Viper Internet Security, change your browser and just be very careful until you can afford the time and the and the expense of upgrading to a new computer, a new operating system. Yeah, I saw an article just right before we recorded this that Firefox, Chrome, and I believe Opera was actually on the list of browsers that are going to keep supporting XP with updates. So like you just said, switching to another browser definitely will help you. And it also looks like Microsoft is going to continue giving new definitions or new uh, protection against new viruses to Microsoft Security Essentials on XP. So that's something to keep in mind. Look at an antivirus program and then look at other browsers if you want to stay on XP, which for those who either just can't upgrade right now or, you know, whatever reason are stuck with XP for a little longer, that's fine. You know, your computer will stay working. So that's definitely a good thing to bring up. Mary, what do you have on backing up and restoring or anything else on this whole topic here? Okay, first of all, Viper is spelled V-I-P-R-E for those who are looking for it. thought I'd mention that. I, I use Microsoft Easy Transfer to back up your settings. So what you can do with that is use that on XP or whatever transfer program there is that works on XP. I've forgotten now what. But on Windows 7 at least, and I suppose on 8, there is a Easy Transfer program that will take the file that the transfer creates on your old PC and it will back up a lot of your settings so you don't have to go in and set a lot of control panel stuff and all of that. Also, if you use a podcatcher, you can usually back up all of your podcast information to an OPML file. The OPML is the file extension, and then you can put that on your new machine when you install all your stuff. And... For email programs, at least for Outlook Express and other uh, XP stuff, you can back up your address book into a CSV, that's comma separated values file, and then migrate that over to whatever uh, email program you use on your new Windows machine. But it's going to take a bit of work to massage your address book in the new machine because quite often what happens is a lot of the information gets put in the wrong place. So those are the three big ones that I can think of. Okay, very good. David Tanner? Well, one thing Mary made me think about that uh, we haven't mentioned, if you're coming from XP and you're not going to do it the long and hard way, which I don't think very many people want to do and probably can't find a way to do, if you're going right from XP to Windows 7 or Windows 8, you have to start, even if you're going to put Windows 8 on the or Windows 7 on the computer you already have, you cannot save any of your old Windows. You actually have to reformat the whole drive. Now, if you were going from XP to Vista, you could do that. 
if you were going from from Vista to seven, you could do that. But if you're skipping a version, then you can't do it. So that means you have to back everything up from XP that you want some way. It has to be going to have to be put on some kind of external media, whether it's a, a big thumb drive or a um, external hard drive or CD or something. You're, it's going to have to be backed up on some type of external media because if you're going to go from XP to 7 or 8, it's going to be a clean install and none of the, the your old windows is going to be left and it's not going to save anything or copy anything from from XP over to Windows 7 or Windows 8 because that's just the rules that Windows plays by. It's a very good point. So even if there's something that you know you think you might not need, you should definitely back it up just in case because right. you never know what you're going to need. Right. Well, before we start to wrap things up here, I'm just going to open this up for comments. Is there anything anybody else wants to mention about any of the operating system we've discussed here or anything people need to keep in mind? I thought of one thing. Windows 7, at least, has autoplay, which is a tool that needs to know whether or not you're going to use a particular program to, for example, open a CD or access a thumb drive or something. So it isn't like XP where you can just shove something in there and it just automatically does it. Um, autoplay is sort of the governor that says, okay, you shove this thing in your CD or DVD drive, what do you want to do with it? And you have to satisfy that dialogue and say, do this, 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 before you can even access the media. So that's a big difference. I don't know if that's going on in Windows 8. It probably is. Well, actually, you can in Windows 7 or Windows 8, when you get that menu, you can hit escape and get out of it. And you still can access the drives. But autoplay is definitely still there in Windows 8. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I think my final comment is that if you're using a computer at home and you feel like jumping into the Mac because you then don't have to worry about upgrading your screen reader or finding licenses or paying for updates, etc., then the Mac is certainly a worthwhile opportunity to have a look at if you want to spend time learning it. And that's the bottom line, I guess, for all of this sort of stuff. Whether you update from Windows XP to Windows 8, yes, you've got a learning curve. If you change from Windows XP to a different operating system in a computer to the Mac, you've also got a learning curve. I guess one of the good things going for the Mac is that it does have the built-in tutorial that teaches you how to use the, the screen reader on the Mac. And for those people that are using an iPhone, an iPod Touch, or an iPad, the gestures, particularly on the trackboard on the MacBook Pro or on the Magic trackpad linked up to an iMac, for example, they're similar gestures that you would already be using on the touchscreen of your iPhone or iPad. And the cursor location stuff, so where the cursor to the right and left of the character moving left and right, that's also exactly the same between the Mac and iOS. And finally, if you're using a Bluetooth keyboard to control your iPhone, for example, that has very similar commands with the control and option keys or what we call VO or voiceover keys to the Mac as well. So I guess what I'm saying is that if you are using an iPad or an iPhone and you want to switch to a Mac because you're using XP, you're going to find very similar functionality between your iPhone, iPad, and the Mac as well. All right. Well, thank you very much, all of you, for joining me and joining the listeners here on the panel. 
it's been really good kind of talking about all these different strategies uh, to approach how to upgrade to a new operating system. Uh, Twelve years ago, back in 2001, it hasn't been out quite uh, 13 years yet, but when XP first came out, uh, Main Menu was the first, as far as I know, if it, w- if it wasn't the first, we were one of the first to talk about XP on the week it was released. And here we are in 2014 talking about the end of XP, the week it comes off of the extended support cycle. So it's very cool that Main Menu's been around this long and we've been here to cover XP for the last more than the last decade. So thank you everyone for joining me here today to talk about the transition from XP to newer operating systems. And if any of you as listeners have questions about anything we've discussed here that we didn't get to, you can just send us an email at mainmenu at acbradio.org, mainmenu at acbradio.org, and let us know what you have a question about, and one of us on the panel here will get back to you and hopefully get your question answered. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you again for being with us today on Main Menu. We always appreciate having you here. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we'll see you back again here next week on Main Menu.